Welcome to episode 147 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high carb, low calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40 percent lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you're retaining metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion. I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards, and it's something that I personally use every single day, and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers, it is also scientifically formulated to optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body. It is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount for all of you listeners so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your name and 
email address and you'll receive an email to double opt in to the list and you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein. So I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to toneprotein.com, sign up with your name and email, and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. 
everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 147 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am fabulous. I'm living in a construction zone. Oh, still from the um, ceiling? Well, we just started, yes, in, um, and we're doing several things. It's going to be a construction zone here for a while, but our house was built in 1979, and the people who we bought it from had lived here since 84, and they had done a lot of renovations over the years, but there were still areas with popcorn ceilings. And so we're having those scraped down and fixed. Not all of them. There's still a couple of rooms. Like there's one room where it was built in the, the late 80s and it's got a little textured ceiling, but it's not bad in there. But there were a few places where it was like coming, you know, it didn't look fresh and good. So, whoo, it's a mess. <laughs> the guys have been here scraping, 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 and now they're plastering, replastering them, fixing, you know, the cracks. There were some cracks in it and they're going to sand all that. And we're also redoing a bathroom that was last redone in the eighties. And it had Laura Ashley wallpaper. We've talked about Laura Ashley before. You don't know what that is, right? No. Yeah. I remember talking about that early on. You're like, what's that? It was really big in the eighties. It was very flowery. It's kind of like, you know, English garden kind of a look. So that's going away. It's going away. We're redoing that whole bathroom. And I'm actually super excited about one thing. The bathroom was done, of course, in the 80s when brass and gold were really big. And it's got these faucets that were put in in the 80s, and they are (laughs) gold-plated. Okay, so just imagine these gold-plated faucet handles and the shower fixtures are also the the gold-plated. And they are actually back in style, and Chad is letting me keep them. And I'm so excited because we're putting back in, we're going to use gold pulls on the vanity because that's what's in style right now. And these are like a brushed gold from the 80s. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> everything old is new again. That's so funny. Yeah, but we're not, you know, the wallpaper is not going to be Laura Ashley, but we're getting a new vanity, new floor, you know, so anyway, big changes. Are you going to outfit your podcast room to be a podcast studio? Well, I'm not adding anything to the room, no. <laughs> not right now. I'm still holding out for that. <laughs> yeah, it's still, it's fine the way it is. And there's actually some texture ceiling in here and we're leaving it just because it's better for sound, I think. I mean, it's not a huge deal, but it's also not a main room of the house. Well, to-do list. <laughs> I just want to have my own little podcast studio and live vicariously through you. I love my podcast studio. I love it. It's just, but it's, you know, it's not a professional recording studio, but it's, it works for me. It's better than when I was recording from the laundry room slash my husband's office slash the room the cats went through. Because <laughs> I don't know if I ever told y'all, I don't know, I might have, you probably, you knew this, but I don't know if the audience did, but the way my old house was built, the one that we sold, it had two heating and air systems, one for the right side of the house, one for the left side of the house. And the room where I did the podcasting, which was the combination office, laundry room where the cats came in, was right in the smack middle of the house. So it had vents from the right side, but it had the air return from the left side. So anytime the heat or the air came on, it was so loud, it sounded like a freight train was going through that room. So before I recorded any episode of the podcast, I had to go turn off the heat and the air on both sides of the house. And sometimes I would forget to turn it back on. And I'd be like, why is it so hot in here? And I'd be like, oh, I turned off the, <laughs> the air. And then I would have to turn it back on. So all that podcasting that I did, I had to turn the heat and the air off to do it. It was such a pain. And now I don't have to do that. It's like just those little things make such a difference. Every time we podcast, I have to turn off 
one, two, three, four air filters, <laughs> air purifiers, and then turn off the air conditioning and then turn off my Rife machine. Yeah. I don't have to turn off anything. I don't have to turn off anything. I just walk in here, close the door and podcast. It's like freedom <laughs> after all those. You know, I mean, it was, it was a couple of years that I had to, had to do that. So it was a lot. So funny. I have a funny story. All right. What is it? So I went to Whole Foods the other day, like or a few, or actually now it was probably a week or so ago. And I went at 7 a.m. right when they opened because I had insomnia. <laughs> That's the only reason I would ever be up at 7 a.m. So I went to Whole Foods and I was in the checkout line. There was nobody in the store because it was 7 a.m. I had on my blue light blocking goggles and I had on a or glasses, and I had on a bioptimizer shirt. And I'm standing in line, and this guy came up next to me, and he goes, oh, I love those products. And I forgot what shirt I was wearing, and I was like, what is he talking about? Oh, please tell me that you're about to say he's a podcast listener. No, but sort of, I don't know, but sort of better. Okay. So then I remembered I was wearing the shirt, and I was like, oh, I was like, really? I was like, which ones do you use? And he was like, yeah, I love the enzymes. And he goes, weight is the best. And I was like... And then I was like, I was like, I love Wade. I was like, I was like, I'm a podcaster. And I was like, they're a sponsor on our podcast. We've had Wade on the podcast. He was like, he was like, that's amazing. And then he was like, he was like, yeah, I saw your shirt. I saw your blue light blocking glasses. And I just thought she gets it. I was like, yeah, we're probably into a lot of the same things. And then I'm not making this up, Jen. Guess what he said next? He goes, yeah, have you heard of Juve? And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) no way. No, I'm not making this up. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. So I hope that y'all like went on a date or something. <laughs> no, but um, it was so funny. And I was like, I freaked out. Oh my God, you should have. Did you get his phone number? Well, it was so funny. So then we were just, I mean, we were just like freaking out, like in the moment, like what is happening? And, and, the, and then he was like, do you have a card? And I didn't have any cards with me. And then I was like trying to find a card and then I totally forgot I was like at the Whole Foods or at the Whole Foods cash register. And then the cash the cash register lady was like, um, here's some paper, you can write it down. So I gave him like the information about our podcast and stuff. So we'll see. No, I wanted it to be like matchmaking. I know. <laughs> because y'all could be like, y'all could have the most amazing house of everything you like. <laughs> I just when he said the Jew thing, I was like, in my head, I was like, maybe he listens to our podcast and that's how he knows. But he he like hadn't. Oh, the, yeah. I asked him. I was like, and then in my head, I was like, I, I can ask him anything. I, I was like, I know I can say anything and he'll know what I'm talking about. I was like, oh, so what diet, like what dietary protocol do you currently follow? And he was like, he's like, I was vegan for three years, but I like lost all my muscle mass. He's like, I'm trying to like recover from that still. So he's like, now I'm mostly like pescatarian, but mostly like whole foods. I was like, yeah, I get it. I get it. So the takeaway was I want to wear my bioptimizer shirt all the time now to like find all the <laughs> find all the people. <laughs> oh, it is funny though. You know, people are out there quietly doing intermittent fast, but he's not an intermittent faster. I mean, he probably is. I, I said that I had the intermittent fasting podcast. Okay. He didn't say anything about it. I don't I don't remember. Well, when when my contractor was here the first day. It was the day we were going to record this podcast and I had to cancel because they were vacuuming (laughs) when we were going to record. It was like, it was very loud. So I had to cancel it and record today. But I was like, well, I have a podcast, but I'll postpone it. So then he was like, well, what is it? And I started telling him about it. 
And then he was like, well, I could do that. So the second day he was here, he said, I had my black coffee and I (laughs) didn't eat anything. So he's doing intermittent fasting now. And then the next day we were out on the porch talking to this HVAC guy because we're moving one of the returns in the dining room and re-wallpapering in there because it's also got some like 90s wallpaper. We're putting something up that's better. And we're talking to the HVAC guy and he's like, oh yeah, I do intermittent fasting and I'm in your Facebook group. (laughs) I'm like, okay. Awesome. We have a connection with the school where I used to work, though. His kids went there. So he knew who I was from from my old elementary school. But I didn't, like, know him personally. Like, like he wasn't a friend of mine. And I didn't teach his children. But it was just cool. Because I'm standing on the porch with a guy who's there for HVAC. And he's in the group and does the fasting. And the contractor has now started doing the fasting. So it's just showing me that this is how mainstream it is. And we shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. Because the contractor immediately was like, well, I'm going to do that. I'm starting tomorrow. Yeah. I I mean, I say this all the time, but I now confidently can mention it in any conversation and people know what it is. In the past, it was rare that people had heard of it, like knew what it was. Now it's rare that they haven't. Yeah. When we were on the cruise last March, so it was March of 2019, that's when I really noticed that it had had kind of turned the corner because wherever I was talking about it, somebody knew somebody who had done it. Like we were in the hot tub and these girls from college were there and they're like, yeah, one of our college professors does that. I mean, people heard of it and they knew about it. So it's just really thrilling. Yep. I love it, love it, love it. Me too. There's actually a study I wanted to talk about, about intermittent fasting, if you're down. Have you seen this one? It's called, it's very new. It's called um, Early Time Restricted Feeding Improves 24-Hour Glucose Levels and Affects Markers of the Circadian Clock, Aging, and Autophagy in Humans. I have seen that one. When did it come out? Let me check. I think that's the one everybody always uses to say early time restricted feeding is better, but that's not really what they compared, so we can't make that if that's the one I'm thinking about. I think it's different. It's not the one where they compared the people eating in the early window to the people who had an all-day window. This was actually, well, they did two studies. This is the follow-up one. I think people use the first one more. This was May, 2019. Yeah, I've seen it. That, I think that's the one. What, what were the other people doing that were? The first one was early time restricted feeding reduces appetite and increases fat oxidation, but does not affect energy expenditure in humans. And then their follow-up one, was that one I just mentioned. The takeaways from the findings from the two studies, like the first study basically found, I think we might've talked about it before. Yeah. It basically looked at early time restricted eating from 8 to 2 p.m. compared to a control of 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And see, that's this is the thing that, that gets me. One thing about this study is that people use it to say that early time restricted eating is better than late time restricted eating, meaning early window is better than a late window, but they didn't compare an early window to a late window. They compared the early window to 12 hours of eating. And I think if we asked anybody what would be better, a short eating window or a 12 hour eating window, the short one would be better. So that's why I don't like the the conclusion being drawn. I mean, if they want to do a study where they have the exact same length window, one is morning and one is evening, let's do that. And then we can draw some conclusions. That's my my pet peeve with this one. Yeah. Well, that study, the actual study didn't conclude that. I think I think people read it and concluded. I know, I know, but people do. And see, 
Everybody says it. They're like, early time restricted feeding is better. And they're like, there's a study that shows it. And and when anyone asks this question in the group, they always say early time restricted feeding is better. There's a study that shows it. I'm like, which one is it? And it's always this one. (laughs) And I'm like, that is not what this one shows. But the reason they say it is because other people are using it to make that claim, if that makes sense. It's being used everywhere to make the claim that early time restricted feeding is better. And I'm not saying early time restricted feeding might not be better, but this study doesn't prove that. Anyway, it just proves that it's better than eating all day, which is, we already knew that. Yeah. The the conclusion of that first one, like what the researchers concluded, the thing they wanted to highlight, I just, I find the conclusion so interesting because there are so many things quote found in these studies and there's always the conclusion. I feel like it shouldn't be the word conclusion. It should be like the conclusion as what the authors decided to focus on as the conclusion. But um, the thing that they concluded was that time-restricted feeding, its method of weight loss was by decreasing appetite, or so basically the calories in aspect, rather than by increasing energy expenditure. It also wasn't very long. How long was the study? Four days. See, that's the thing. I I know that you're not fat adapted after four days. So I wouldn't think, you know, that that's just not long enough to say anything conclusively about the long term. I, I really would like to see a long term study. That's what we need. I think they'll, they'll be coming out. There was one really fascinating thing that I took away from it as well, because it was comparing it to how the findings seem to be a little bit different from what they find in rodent trials. One of the things it pointed out that I thought was really interesting was that rodents, when they are put into these situations, because this was a very intensely controlled study, like it used the whole room indirect, you know, where people are in a room and it's very controlled and it measures like everything (laughs) about them. One of the differences it pointed out was that for rodents, when they're put on time-restricted feeding schedules, it didn't say it this way, but this is me like talking it out casually, like rodents don't, they don't know that they are on these set fasting schedule. So they engage in more activity to try to find food. Oh, that's an excellent point. Yeah. So they're going to, they're like not having food. So they're going to be like actively trying to find food, which is going to increase their energy expenditure. Whereas humans, when they're in this thing, they're in a room, they can't move around. They know there's not food. They're not making any compensatory physical activity to find food. Isn't that fascinating? There could also be negative psychological effects on the rats too, that we're not thinking about. See, this is why science is hard, everybody. And so the rats might be more stressed out because they don't understand that they're going to get fed later and they're in a feeding study, whereas humans do. So like if you say fasting causes stress because these rats were super stressed after they did it, well, the rats didn't know they were doing it. They just thought, oh my God, what's wrong? What's happening? Why is there no food? I never thought of that before, but that is one of the confounding variables that you cannot, because you can't explain it to the rat. Hey, little ratty, you know, you're going to be on this super special. It's good for you. You're going to love it. Yeah. And it's so funny. I mean, they didn't mention that at all in the study, but that was my first thought as well. I was like, I never thought about that. But what you just said was one of my thoughts too. I was like, the rats don't know. So they're probably super stressed. (laughs) Like, Right. And that is a variable. That is a variable. And you cannot control for that unless you like send them to the rat spa. I don't know. They could be like massage the rats and keep them calm. I don't know. 
Because then the massage might be the thing that's causing that. See, there's no, it's really hard to control variables in science experiments with anything, whether you're doing a paper airplane experiment. I talk about this in Feast Without Fear about why it's so hard to draw conclusions from science because every little thing you tweak changes something else, especially with living creatures like us and humans even more. Sorry, I was just clicking on um, other links related to it. It might've actually, I think the one that, people were all concluding. I think the other study, I think it might've been a different study. I think it might've been the early time restricted feeding improves insulin sensitivity, blood pressure, and oxidative stress, even without weight loss. Oh wait, no. That's still the same at the same period of time. I think that's, I think they did one study and released a couple articles about it. This one's a different study, but it's all the same thing. But I think I don't, it wasn't comparing equal windows that were different time of day. Yeah. Same thing. It's like a you know they do that. They'll have they'll have one study and and pull out more than one paper related to it. Well, this was a, this was a different year. But that that's what I'm saying. They might have taken another year to write the paper. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Well, this was a different control group. Okay. Okay. But yeah, no, that makes sense. Actually though, so back to the study I was opening with, the one about 24-hour glucose levels, I was really drawn to this one because it looked at the genetic changes from time-restricted feeding on like genes related to autophagy, one of my favorites. And they basically found that it upregulated a lot of genes which were supportive of autophagy. Yeah, I'm not surprised about that at all. But one of the takeaways that I wanted to talk about has literally like nothing really, I mean, it obviously has to do with it, but I got so excited, Jen. So they found in the study that the participants eating in a six-hour time window that they had, after eating, reduced glucose levels. And the researchers said that they actually had expected it to be the opposite. They thought that with the participants having, you know, all these meals scrunched into a short amount of time, that they would have higher blood glucose levels afterwards, that it would have like basically a negative effect. But it was the opposite. And They said that one of the reasons, but that would be in comparison to, you know, the other pattern, which was eating the way we're often told to eat to regulate blood sugar, which is, you know, eating meals throughout the day. Small meals, multiple times a day, lots and lots of them. Yeah. Right. So they're saying that this was the opposite of what we expected because normally, you know, all throughout the day is the way to go for blood sugar, but they found that actually there was better blood blood sugar control with having it all at once. That doesn't surprise me at all because I remember the way I felt when I used to eat frequently throughout the day. It was like I was on a blood sugar roller coaster. Honestly, that is how I felt. Well, I got really excited because literally some of the stuff they said really ties into our whole one meal a day conversation. I was reading this and I was like lighting up. They said that the reason that this might have happened was because by eating multiple meals, because they were eating like breakfast and lunch basically within a shorter window that when they started the second meal, like they were still digesting breakfast. So the pancreas didn't have to get quote, this is quoting from the study, reawakened to secrete insulin because it was already secreting insulin for the first meal. So that might've lessened the spike in plasma glucose afterwards. So after that, they were saying that basically This suggests that eating in a time-restricted pattern where the inter-meal amount of time, so like having a time window where you're eating, even if you're eating like, quote, two meals within that time window, 
if there's like a short amount of time between those two meals, that that should actually really be taken into consideration as far as blood glucose levels go. They literally say, quote, we speculate that time-restricted feeding interventions where meals are eaten too far apart, which is more than four to five hours apart, that that may be less effective at improving blood glucose levels. And it underscores the fact that while IF interventions are often viewed as synonymous with a reduction in meal frequency, practicing IF and reducing meal frequency are not the same thing. And future studies on IF should investigate whether the intermeal interval and meal frequency influence health outcomes. So the reason I'm so excited is, you know, we've been having all of this discussion about, you know, if you have a, a short window, is it, you know, one meal, two meals, like if you're eating the whole time, like how does it affect insulin? How does it affect the pancreas? Like, you know, you and I have talked about this for so long on this podcast. And I just love this study because basically they're addressing that very thing that we've been talking about and that their conclusion or their speculation, it wasn't a conclusion. This is just their hypothesis, but they hypothesize that regardless of if it's one meal or two meals or whatever, as long as it's less five hours or less for your window, if you're eating, you know, multiple meals within that window, because the time between is so short, it's going to be less taxing of your pancreas overall. And it's going to be like, quote, better for your blood sugar levels after the fact. So, so your body thinks of it as one meal. Yeah, basically. Take, take that everyone. Your body thinks of it as one meal. Yes. That's sort of the takeaway. So, which is kind of awesome because it kind of supports what both you and I think, because I know you and you and I both have quote different definitions about what is one meal. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. 
And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. Somebody was like talking smack in my one middle a day Facebook group. And she said that everybody in all the other Facebook groups like make fun of our Facebook group for being stupid or something. And I'm like, I don't even care, but it cracks me up that people in other Facebook groups are gossiping. I mean, I don't care how you define it. Knock yourself out, call it however you want. But like, I felt like I was in high school. Wait, was she talking? She was talking about the one meal a day terminology or about you? Well, just that. And we were the first one meal a day Facebook group that existed. We were the first one for like over a year. We were the only one meal a day group. So now there's like a million of them and everybody has like their own definition. And the funny part is I don't really care what anybody else calls it or how you do it. It matters zero to me. And I don't really think that the wording is that important. I know for a fact that I'm only eating around structured around the dinner time. So to me, I'm not eating lunch and breakfast, but whatever. I don't care what you call it, but it just cracked me up to think that in other Facebook groups, they're actively talking about ours, like like gossipy. I mean, we're not talking about them in our Facebook group. You know, we're not in there slamming how they're doing things. It doesn't matter to me. It's like high school. Well, that's how it felt. It doesn't matter to me how they define it or what they want to do. I, I'm not going to join their group and tell them they're doing it wrong. Oh my goodness. I never thought about this. Facebook groups are like high school. It's really funny, but the, they... Yeah, the fact that she's like, well, we all think y'all are stupid. And I'm like, okay. And especially now you have to, you know, you have to like answer questions to join and. Yeah, I'm like, all right, that's fine. I don't care. You don't have to uh, agree with me and I'm cool with that. But the fact that y'all are over there talking about it and like, I'm not making fun of the way they want to define it is my point. They can do whatever they want to do and it doesn't matter. It really, people just get so like tied into like how they want to define it when really it doesn't matter. Exactly. Cause like I still terminology wise, so not like insulin wise, not what's happening in your body wise, not all of that wise. I still like feel like our definitions are different, but I don't care. I don't think it matters. I'm not mad that you think about it differently than me. That's the thing. It doesn't bother me. And you know, I even have seen people say repeatedly that they don't think that time-restricted eating should ever be referred to as intermittent fasting. Like that is one train of thought that a few people, you know, that are experts in the field, do they don't consider time-restricted eating, which is the daily eating window approach, they don't consider that to be intermittent fasting. They think intermittent fasting is when you do longer fasts intermittently. That's what Peter Atia says as well. Right. And there's there's a few people who say that. The point though of that is, 
that terminology is already, that cat already is out of the bag. We can't change. We can say time-restricted eating for the eating window approach, but I, I still am going to consider that under the umbrella of intermittent fasting. Same page. Like I kind of feel like, like if we were starting it now, I would use intermittent fasting as an umbrella term for all of these approaches. So I would consider time-restricted eating, time-restricted feeding, longer fast, like all of this stuff. I would consider it forms of intermittent fasting. That's what I do right now this minute. That's what I consider all of those to be types of intermittent fasting. Yeah, that's I mean that's the way I see it. I think I think there is like a slight issue with it because of the way it's discussed in the clinical literature and then it creates confusion about what is doing what because because a clarity in terminology I think is needed to properly discuss the ideas. That's why I like the fact that now we have the time restricted feeding because I think it can add more clarity, but yeah, I mean it's just like a it's linguistics, you know, it's wording. And it really doesn't matter. Find out what works for you. Call it whatever you want. Eat in a way that, that supports your health. But I do love the fact that they found that as long as it was in that condensed eating window, that the body treated it as as one big feeding. That's good information to have. I like that. Yeah. So, and I love that it gave a specific amount of time. So basically it said more than four to five hours apart. So I guess if it's more than four to five hours apart, that would mean that it could actually be a... Like you wouldn't want to eat a meal, wait six hours and eat another one. Well, according to this, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to eat a meal, wait four hours and eat another one. So things could get even a little bit wonky with like a six hour window. If you ate for an hour, waited four hours and then ate for an hour. But it seems that less than that might be the way to go. So like the continuous eating actually seems to be a factor, which is really fascinating or that shortened amount of time between, between the eating. So it's fascinating. So it sounds like even though both of the way we do one meal a day is very different, I think it's similar time-wise, but it's different the way it like looks. I think both of it falls into this whole template, but yeah. (laughs) Do you see why I was so excited when I read that paragraph? I was like, nobody's going to appreciate why I'm so excited about this paragraph. That's like a throwaway paragraph in the whole paper, but um. (laughs) Yay. Well, anyway, my my whole takeaway from all of it is everybody figure out what works well for you. And no matter what new research comes out saying this is better or that is better, or even if we have research that shows that an early time-restricted eating window is better, we might one day have that. Maybe it is. But practicality-wise, you need to do the one that works for you and that you can do. You know, for me, an early window doesn't work at all because of... You know, I can close my window and be perfectly satisfied, but then before bedtime, I'm going to be hungry again, and that doesn't work well for me. Whereas if I have my eating window later in the day, I get to go to bed feeling great and I sleep well, it works well. So even if an early window was better, it's only better if you can stick to it and it feels good. So that's just, that's what I always think. We, th- we got to remember it's a way of living. It's a lifestyle and you can take the pleasure out of it when you shoot for perfection. Yep, exactly. Oh, one of the other things that it found, just to throw it out there, which was actually the complete opposite of what I, what I would have expected, but it's a good thing. It was in one of those. I don't remember which one. I think it was, I think it was the second one the one we were just talking about, they found that the early time-restricted feeding pattern, this was so the opposite of what I would have thought, that it actually increased cortisol in the morning and decreased cortisol at night, which is great. 
Say that again. That the early time-restricted feeding actually increased cortisol in the morning and decreased it at night, which is in line with the natural circadian rhythm. The reason I thought it would be the opposite is I would have anticipated eating in the morning to reduce cortisol and then at night it to go up because you're not eating, but um, they found the opposite. And I, I do want to point out that this was only four days. And so I really think knowing what I know about how long it takes our bodies to adjust to fasting, I really think we need to demand long-term studies because we're recording this near the end of January and we just had a ton of new people join the group and they're about three weeks in now and they're all like, you know, hitting that glycogen depletion wall <laughs> right at the same time. They're like, why do I suddenly feel worse when I felt great? And, you know, and then they're going to get to the other side and they're going to feel better. But, you know, any study that you do, if it's really short, you're going to miss out on that fat adaptation and the way that your body responds differently when you've been doing it longer. Yeah, I do think that's a great thing to point out. So for listeners, we will put links to both of these in the show notes. The reason I had, I dived so deep into these was, so I've had Stacy Toth on my other podcast, on the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, and that episode, she was on the episode all about skincare and makeup, and it's an, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But she is the co-host of The Paleo View with Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, who I adore, Dr. Sarah Ballantyne. They actually had a whole episode on intermittent fasting and they had both of these studies and they talked about them and Dr. Ballantyne drew some conclusions that I would not personally have drawn from reading it. So I wanted to like go through and read it all myself and see what was going on and people were talking about it in my Facebook group. So that's why I did a really deep dive. I'll put links to everything in the show notes. It is so interesting when you read somebody... I mean, even someone you respect a lot and you read their interpretation of a study and then you read it and you're like, that's not at all how I interpret that. Isn't that interesting? Actually, I agreed with most of what she said, like pretty much. But the thing that I was like, what? And that I was like, I have to go read this is she mentioned that effect on cortisol. And then her conclusion from that, this was just me not quite being in line with the interpretation. Her interpretation was okay, time-restricted feeding is increasing cortisol, so it might be a problem for stress markers. But I was thinking it's increasing cortisol and the natural circadian rhythm. Like it's regulating cortisol the way we want cortisol to be regulated. So, And it was lower later. So there, it wasn't always increased. It was just increased earlier. Right. So yeah, definitely encourage people, especially when there is access to the original articles to do to do your research. And now I'm just laughing because Jen, you know how we talked about how we both read, well, you read part of it and I'm reading How Not to Diet, Dr. Michael Greger's book. Well, A, it's a fascinating book. I'm actually really enjoying it. It is taking me so long to read because literally, literally like every other sentence has a footnote to a study. And you're going to the studies and looking at them. Yeah. Like literally I'll read a sentence. I'm like, that's fascinating. And then there's like the reference and I'm like, oh crap. And so then I click on it and I'm like, oh, I want to read this. So like, I can't even tell you how many studies I'm reading now. Are you finding, I'm just curious. Are you finding that what the studies are saying when you read them match what he says about them? That's the part that always, I always am so surprised when they don't, which is a lot. <laughs> I didn't do that with his book, Disclosure, because I was on a cruise and I didn't have great internet access. So I did not look at the actual studies of anything that he said. So this is what I think he has done 
a very good job of, and it makes sense because he says it's he says somewhere in the book how he hired like X amount of third party people to go through and make sure when he was using these studies that he wasn't doing that. He didn't say it that way exactly, but that was the idea. So I think he's done a really good job of that. In my opinion, it's still very cherry picking because basically, so like he'll have a a point that he's making. And yes, he gets all these studies that do very much support that. And if you look at the studies, I mean, I found a few things here and there where I'm like, "Uh," but he's definitely not. I mean, he could have a lot of people, you know, will reference that. He's not misinterpreting them. Yeah, he's he's clearly very on top of that aspect of it. But in my opinion, it's still very much cherry picking because the root idea that he'll trying to be put out there, he's specifically choosing all the studies that do show that without false interpretation, rather than taking in the entire literature, which would include other studies, which would not show that. Does that make sense? And, and you know, that does go back again to the fact that there are so many conflicting things in the literature just because research with people is so confusing. And hard to do. I guess I think I talked about it in Feast Without Fear about a study that was comparing different dietary approaches. And they did such a terrible job controlling the variables. And I read it to my fourth graders. We were studying the scientific method at the time. They were doing a project. And they were able to identify the flaws. (laughs) Fourth graders. So... You know, and but that that study had a conclusion that this was better than that, you know, whatever the approaches were. And I'm like, you cannot draw that conclusion when you haven't controlled the variables. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But then they do, and then you see headlines about it, and then then it gets repeated as gospel. Mm-hmm. And then you know, and they're like, well, here this study proved it, and I'm like, well, no, no, it didn't. <laughs> Not even close. Anyway, it's just crazy. I will say though, I am. The book, it really is very fascinating. There's just so many things I'm like that. I'm just like making notes about. One of the things that was really fascinating to me was, and I had actually read this in another book. Recently, I read it in a book. It was saying that the average human person, regardless of calories, consumes like three to four pounds of, or three to five, somewhere around there, pounds of food per day. So regardless of calories, like that's how much, but it didn't, it didn't say why. Yeah. I found that to be fascinating too. Yeah. So I was, I found that fascinating in another book and then I was reading this book and he brought that up, but he, he provided the reason for it, which made me really happy. So the theory is that as hunter gatherers, when we were evolving, that was the amount of food required to supply X amount of calories. So our bodies still have this like muscle memory thinking it needs that amount of food to supply that amount of calories and it doesn't like realize that we're getting a thousand calories and like you know processed food now so we're still craving this literal amount of weight of food i thought that was really fascinating and you know that explains a lot you know why we have the urge to keep eating with with all this highly processed and very calorie dense food that we've got now and it's so easy to overeat it if we're trying to reach a certain like weight of food. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I mean, so far, I probably read a fifth of the book now so far. And so far, his main hypothesis is that it's really like processed foods and over consumption of calories is like the reason for the obesity epidemic. Yeah, overeating is not a good strategy for any of us. But it's why it's so easy to overeat these highly processed you know, calorie dense foods, you know, it's easy to overeat them. And the whole weight thing, the weight of the food, that's, that explains a lot about it. Yeah. 
Yeah. He, oh, there are so many. I, I really actually do recommend the book because he references so many studies I had never heard before that are just really, really fascinating as far as like studies where they're just comparing like how much you eat with different environmental situations or different food types. And I mean, it's really fascinating. I just thought though of something where I can think of like a cherry picking example. Like for example, he really briefly discussed fat because he makes the argument that, you know, fat is such a concentrated form of calories. So it's most likely contributing to the obesity epidemic. Oh, this was something I specifically looked up. So he brings up the idea of coconut oil and he was saying how like coconut oil is posited as, you know, being good for weight loss or whatever. And he deconstructs that completely. So he doesn't think that that's the case, but he provides a, like a study where it showed that coconut oil, like replacing coconut oil led to weight loss in the participants. But then he completely discredits the study because he says it was a open label. So he says that because the participants knew they were getting coconut oil, that completely discredits the study, which I was like, maybe that's true, but I feel like that's sort of like a cherry picking situation. Like, you know, like you're going to show this study, but then you're going to discredit it for this really random thing. So then I Googled open label to see if he used any other open label studies to prove other points. (laughs) And I think he used one. And so I was like, okay, (laughs) so then technically you can't use this other study either, you know, but you don't mention the open label in that other study. So that's the type of things that I, my brain goes to. Well, I get it. You know, if, if, if it's, if it discredits one, you have to use that same metric for all of them. It would be like, if you said, well, I don't really like rat studies. They're not very good, but here's a great rat study that proves my point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's very smart because like, cause then he follows it up with an open label with a non-open label coconut oil study that didn't show that. So basically what he did in addressing the coconut oil concept was there are a lot of more studies beyond these two studies, but he pulled out two studies, one which supported what he didn't want to endorse, but then he discredited that study. And then he provided a study that did support his hypothesis. So he got be- he gets the best of both worlds. And I'm not trying to attack him at all. I'm just saying like, this is very smart and nothing is technically untrue in it, but it's just the way that we can, you know, use things to prove a point. I, I mean, it's very smart tactic because he's getting to show both sides, but discrediting the other side and then supporting his side with two studies about something that, and then using that to discredit, then he's using it, focusing on coconut oil to discredit medium chain triglycerides, the MCTs, when coconut oil is only a certain percent MCTs. So I think the studies would all need to have been studies about MCTs, not coconut oil. Right. Well, because it's not, yeah. Science with people is just so hard. I mean, it is, it's just so hard. And what I would love to do is work with some, some researchers on designing some intermittent fasting studies. Wouldn't that be fun? Help them design some studies and and just say, you know, from a practical approach, here's what we we know from, you know, these, we're over 300,000 Facebook group members now combined. So this is what we see. So these are some factors to keep in mind and that'd be awesome. Yep. Hi friends, an incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. 
There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold control. Contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code MELANIEAVALON to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. And you notice we haven't answered a single question, but it's been intermittent fasting talk the whole time. I know. <laughs> it's been good stuff. No, it's really good stuff. No, I love it. We actually had requests. I remember like right when we started this podcast, we had requests to um, talk more about the most recent studies. And at the time I was like, I wanted to do it, but it seemed like, like a lot, not, not, not a lot of effort, but like, I was like, that's going to take a lot of, you know, a lot of time to like research and everything. And I wanted to address all these qu listener questions, but I, I think having both is really important. So love native. All right. So we can squeeze in one, one question from one lucky listener before we go. Hey, but you know what though? We answered questions that people didn't even know they had today. <laughs> This is true. It's very true. So this question comes from Emily. The subject is dirty fasting at the end of the feeding window. 
I really like this question. Emily says, hi, ladies. I just found your podcast and am loving it. It has really helped me stay motivated and get back on track in January after an indulgent holiday season. I have been following a low carb, not quite keto lifestyle for about 10 months. And I've also been incorporating intermittent fasting over that time. Let's ignore December winky face. Since listening to your podcast, I've realized that my fast was not clean. I was adding creamer to coffee and also chewing the occasional sugar-free gum or drinking flavored LaCroix during the fasting window. I've since tightened up my ways to keep the fast clean in the morning with black coffee and water only. There were several episodes which have helped me understand why it's important to keep it clean so your body doesn't think food is coming or raise insulin while, while you are in the fasted state. I have noticed a huge difference since keeping the fast clean, so thanks for that. I can now fast until the early afternoon when I used to break the fast around 11 a.m. My question is, is there a bit more flexibility at the end of the eating window slash beginning of the fasting window? I typically fast for about 18 to 19 hours a day with an eating window somewhere around 1 to 6 p.m. I do enjoy a few pieces of my horrible sugar-free gum and a flavored LaCroix after dinner in lieu of dessert. If I finish my dinner at 6 p.m. but sip on LaCroix and chew gum until 7 or 8 p.m., will that really affect when my body gets into the fasted state? My thought here is that I have real food in my stomach that my body is already processing. This is so interesting because it kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier, Jen. <laughs> I did not plan this at all. So the marginal impact of the gum or LaCroix would be less of an issue when I'm just closing my eating window compared to when I'm completely in the fasted state the next day from wake up time to 1 p.m. Hopefully this question makes sense. I'd appreciate your thoughts. And yes, it does make sense. She says, as an aside, I'm doing IF and eating the way I do to feel good, enjoy health benefits and make life easier by not having to think about food all day. Although I would like to lose about five pounds, I am at a healthy weight. So I suppose I would consider myself in maintenance mode. Thanks so much. All right. What are your thoughts, Jen? Well, it is such an interesting question because I think about this myself. You know, I have an evening eating window. And so I just think about once I open my window, it's kind of open till bedtime. You know, that's that's kind of what I do. So you know, people are like, does XYZ break the fast? You know. And I'm like, and I'm like, well, when are you having it? And they'll be like, well, I have it at bedtime. And I'm like, well, it's probably not as big of a deal. So I do understand what she's saying because it would be completely different to have the sugar-free gum or the LaCroix at the say 12 hour mark, because your body is hopefully getting into the, the deep fasted state by, you know, starting by then. And as the fast continues. So you're right. If you're already, you know, digesting, you, you if you just finish eating at 6 PM, and your your body is in the fed state at that point, it probably will not make as much of a difference <laughs> if you keep going with the flavored LaCroix or the sugar-free gum. But your body, you know, it may cause more insulin release than you had from the meal, especially if you're low carb. So there's a wrinkle I want to throw in there. If you're already eating low carb because you're trying to keep insulin low, I don't think that the artificial sweeteners are going to support what you're trying to do even smack dab in the middle of your eating window. Does that make sense, Melanie? Yeah. Yeah, completely. If your goal is keeping insulin low and you're doing that through eating a lower carb, choosing a lower carb approach, I don't think that all of these sweeteners are a good, you know, a good thing to add to that that type of lifestyle if your goal is low insulin. 
you know, all these things that trick our bodies into thinking that we're having something sweet. I mean, there are, the, you know, all these things that taste sweet to our bodies, the sugar-free gum, the flavored LaCroix. So technically, it definitely, that would be the time to have it, you know, right then, right after you've eaten, you know, kind of extending. Instead, though, think of it as kind of extending your eating window. Instead of, I don't like to think of anything as dirty fasting. I don't like that terminology. I like the idea of clean fast because, you know, that's the time our bodies clean and repair. Clean is a good thing. Dirty fasting, I would like to never say dirty fasting or hear dirty fasting again, just because I I don't think that's really a thing. And it sounds so negative. But personally, if, if I were trying to keep insulin low, I would not extend the period of time that my insulin was being released, even though it might be marginal because you have just eaten. That's the part I agree with. It's not going to be as big of a deal because you just ate, but it's still, especially since you were eating low carb, it it might have more of an effect than you think. Anyway, that's just, that's just what I think. Yeah. Like you discussed, I think there's two things to take in mind here. There's like the actual eating window and then there's just the implications about what it's telling your brain compared to what you're taking in, especially if you've been on a ketogenic diet. So sort of what Jen just said, I think with these quote dirty fasting things, when you're still sort of like in the eating window, not really. I'm just basically saying what Jen said. I think it's less about the fasting window because I and more about what you're telling your body. Interestingly enough, something like stevia, for example, after like all the research I've done on that, I think that's an example where it's ironic because, so it's like a sweet taste, right? It's been shown to also actually lower blood sugar levels. So if you're not eating a carb-restricted diet, I think actually having stevia with like your carbs might actually be a good way to, for some people to like manage their blood sugar levels. Unless it's lowering your blood sugar by raising your insulin, which is like, it, it only looks good on paper. Like, oh, look, it lowered my blood glucose. Well, if it did that by raising your insulin, that's a false positive good feeling. Well, some of the studies have shown that it, it it's good for in, for insulin regulation. So it's it's tricky to know exactly what's going on. The takeaways I've seen with stevia is like that there are a lot of different response. Wait, there are a lot of different responders. So it's like for some people, eating carbs and having stevia might actually be a good thing because it's going to overall have a good effect on your blood sugar. For some people though, adding it in can actually increase insulin. So hard to tell. And then for some people on low carb, it's great because they don't seem to experience like sugar cravings or anything. Like it works for them to like satisfy their sweet tooth without having sweets. But then for some people, it's the complete opposite. It keeps the the sweets present. So really it's, this is stevia specifically. And, and you're talking about it within the eating window in this context, like with food. Mm-hmm. With it, with food, so it seems like there there's probably four potential situations you could be in. You know, a, high, a higher carb diet where you find it beneficial or detrimental, and then a lower carb diet where you find it beneficial, detrimental, and only you could really know. You'd have to just experiment. That's stevia. The reason I'm talking about stevia is because I think it's one of the quote natural. Like there's there's the, there's the potential for it to be therapeutic and beneficial if it suits your body. I'm less. I'm less thinking that about a lot of these artificial sweeteners because I don't think we really see anything good from them. I think they confuse our bodies more than anything else. Yeah. And I think the effects we see on the gut microbiome are not good. That Dr. Um, McGregor was actually talking about that. Gregor, right? I always think he's Mick Gregor because his first name is a Michael, but um, Michael Gregor. 
I don't really think that we see anything good from come from artificial sweeteners. So yeah, so the long story short is everything we just said. Like, it's less about the fasting, more about what it's doing in the longer term based on what it's doing with, you know, the food at that moment. Any other thoughts about that? Well, just that, you know, I really think that Emily needs to to see what happens for her. You know, if let's let's just say for the sake of argument that we're going to consider that that's keeping her window open till 8 p.m. So her window would be from 1 to 8 p.m., but she stops eating actual food at 6 p.m., but her window is 1 to 8. That's seven hours. If she's able to to do that and meet all of the goals she has, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, it's semantics. Do we want to call it a five-hour window and then you're just having this later? Or do you want to call it a seven-hour window? It doesn't matter what you call it. What matters is what do you see happening? If it's meeting your goal, if you're meeting your goals and we want to call that a one to eight hour window, I mean, a one to 8 p.m. window, which is seven hours long, then that's perfectly fine to do. Exactly. But if you're not meeting your goals, you know what to cut out. This is true. It's a nice thing. There's always stuff to tweak it till it's easy. Yep. Yeah. All right. So I just love how that question fit in so well with what we were talking about. Yeah, me too. So a few things for listeners before we go. The show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 147. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. We also have ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. That's where we put links to all the stuff that we like. You can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I'm at Melanie Avalon and Jen is at Jen Stevens. You can follow, follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. And lastly, we are Himalaya Partnered Show. If you'd like early access to our show 24 hours in advance, definitely follow us in the Himalaya app. All right. Anything else from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.